Albert was a farmer, and he came to faith in Jesus around 24 years old, and he was just so excited about his faith. He was, he was passionate, and so he, he loaded up his truck with all of his friends, and he took them to church to hear the gospel message. But there was this young man that Albert was especially interested in, and he tried to persuade him to come to church, but the young man had, had nothing to do with it. Instead, he, he made the choice to, to do his own thing and to fall in and out of love with many girls. But Albert persuaded the young man to come to church by having him drive the truck. That was, you know, the, a, good, a good responsibility and an opportunity. And so the young man decided to come to church. And when the young man had got the church, he, he decided to get out of the truck. He made a choice to go inside the church and to hear the pastor preach and to present the gospel message. And this young man described it as though he was spellbound. He was spellbound by what the words he was hearing and how it was impacting his heart and his mind. After that night, the young man made a choice to go back to church again and again and again and again until one day he got down on his knees and he made the choice to accept Jesus Christ into his heart as personal Lord and Savior. And from that point on, this young man um, did so many amazing and good things for the Lord. About this young man, he, he spoke to over 200 million people about Jesus. He became the friend and the pastor to 10 American presidents. Who was this man? It was Billy Graham. It was Billy Graham. We believe God is in the transforming and reconciling business. God has been on mission to redeem, restore, to repurpose people to himself, and he did that through his son, Jesus Christ. John 3.17, God sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But all that God has done for us begins with a choice, a choice to accept or reject him. God won't force his will upon us. God has given us free will to choose to trust and pursue him or to choose and do our own thing. If I was to ask you, you know, have you ever made a choice that exceeded your expectations? You know, there were blessings, there were opportunities, there were new things that were happening. We were thankful for the choices that we made or other people made that positively impacted our life. But maybe you made a choice and it didn't go as you expected it would. Maybe there was heartache, pain, suffering, and we're discouraged over the foolish choices that we or other people made that negatively impacted our life. Well, this morning, we're starting a new series called Healing Choices. Healing Choices, because we believe hope, Jesus, is here. Now, if we're being honest, life can be tough sometimes. Life can be tough sometimes, and we live in an imperfect world. We've been hurt by other people. We've hurt ourselves. And if we're being honest, sometimes we've hurt others as well. We all need to find healing and freedom from the choices that we made or choices that other people made that negatively impacted our life. However, there are choices that we can make that I believe can redeem our past, restore our present, 
and engage us in a new mission in life. And one example we can find is in the Bible. This man, he, he chose to devote his life to forcefully stop a group of people. He thought they were being um, deceived. He, he thought they were spreading lies. He thought they were a threat to his religion. And so he, he decided that he was going to be a force of evil against these people. He even approved the killing of one of them by being stoned to death. And it wasn't until he had a miraculous encounter with God that his life was transformed. It was completely changed. It was completely flipped upside down. He chose to surrender his life to God, and God transformed him to be a force for good, not evil. We know about this man that he started 14 churches. He wrote 13 letters to encourage Christians. He led thousands to accept Jesus Christ, and he was an influential leader and witness for God. If he was here to ta- if he was here today, he would tell you that God can transform and redeem any life that chooses to surrender and trust and follow him. Who was this man? It was the Apostle Paul. Today, we will discover the power that Jesus has to transform our life and how that transformation is connected to choices that we make. If you have your Bibles, it's going to be up on the screen as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. This is what God's Word says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Remember, he was the one who was forcefully against God's people. Now he is encouraging God's people and is reminding them of what Jesus Christ has done for us, our new identity. Paul has a special affection and love for the Corinthian church, the church that he helped to establish. But the relationship is complicated. He's had to correct bad behavior and sin. He's had to confront false teachings and lies. And scripture says that he even had a painful visit with him that caused him great sorrow. Yet despite all of those experiences, Paul made a choice to continue to love and to teach them, to encourage them that Jesus' death and resurrection transforms our life when we choose him. I've said this phrase before, and it goes something like this. The easy choice is the wrong choice. The easy choice, ignoring God, opposing him, doing our own thing, is the wrong choice that typically leads to pain and suffering. However, the hard choice is the right choice. The hard choice, 
choosing to follow and trust and surrender to Jesus's will for our life is the right choice that brings healing and transformation to our life. Maybe I could say it like this, kind of like exercise. The easy choice is being a couch potato. The hard choice is going to the gym and actually working out. One choice is easy, but damaging. One choice is hard, but beneficial. In our passage of Scripture, Paul says that when we choose Jesus, God transforms our relationship. God transforms our relationship. We are reconciled back to God. One of the ways that God speaks about our relationship is the analogy of a bride and groom. The church is the bride of Christ. The groom is Jesus. And so for lack of better words, a husband and wife. Isaiah 54, 5 says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. Paul speaks of how Jesus loved the church in Ephesians 5, 25 to 28, when he says, Jesus gave himself up for her, the church, to make her holy and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or or without stain, but holy and blameless. And I think this goes without saying, we all know that um, unfaithfulness, infidelity, is one of the many reasons that marriages become broken, damaged, and destroyed. And God makes it clear that our sin fractures our relationship with God. For lack of a better word, our sin is spiritual adultery. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities, sins, have separated you from God. And it is this sin problem, this spiritual infidelity that God can and wants to heal. James McDonald was quoted as saying, the core of humanity's sin problem is not a horizontal behavior to be corrected, but a vertical relationship to be restored. God's solution to our sin was sending Jesus to die on the cross to bridge the gap between God and man to reconcile our relationship to him. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. To bring you to God. There's a theological phrase that goes something like this, penal substitution. This theory teaches that Jesus suffered the penalty for our sinful nature. This substitution derives from the idea that divine payment must satisfy divine justice. Jesus, God, holy. God is not willing or able to simply forgive sin without first requiring a payment. Therefore, God gave his son to take that payment for us, to die in our place and take it upon himself, the sins of the world, once and for all. And so Jesus' death on the cross provisionally fulfills our debt to God for those who accept him as Lord and Savior of their life. Jesus' death provisionally fulfills our debt to God. 1 John 2.2 says, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. 
there's a hymn that goes like this. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. But notice that Jesus provisionally has paid the penalty for our sins, but what he did for us doesn't apply to our debt until we accept the sacrifice on our behalf. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes to accept it shall not perish but have everlasting life. Oswald Chambers is quoted as saying, When Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross, it was not the blood of a martyr or the blood of a man poured out for one another. It was the life of God poured out to redeem the world. And in our passage of Scripture, Paul mentions in verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. God was reconciling, comes from the Greek word kataliseo, which means to change, to, to come together, to restore what has been broken. The world, all of mankind, he didn't just do it for a specific group of people, but for anyone that would accept him into their heart. God's offer of forgiveness is available even to the worst of sinners. And all of us can get in on his offer to reconcile our broken relationship to him. And I love this passage of scripture, what Paul says, that God was not counting men's sins against them. It's this idea that Jesus cancels, his sacrifice cancels the debt of our sin. And a more accurate translation for sin is actually trespasses, that God can and will forgive both a one-time offense and habitual, deliberate, and disobedient sin. When we are in Christ, when we have faith in Jesus to accept him into our heart as personal Lord and Savior, God doesn't keep a record of the wrongs or use it against us. Rather, they've been deleted. And as Micah 7 talks about, they've been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. But notice in our passage of Scripture that it was God reconciling. It was God's initiative. He is the reconciler. Paul says in verse 18, All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. All of this, our conversion, our newly transformed relationship, is exclusively, ex exclusively accomplished from a sovereign and holy God. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. Colossians 1, 19-20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There's another theological word that's called justification whereby God declares the repentant sinner in right standing 
we are justified by faith. We are now in right standing. Our relationship has been restored through Jesus Christ. We are reconciled because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Romans 5, 1 says, Since we, Christians, have been justified, declared right, through faith, as we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, we have peace, not this peace, not this peace, but union, wholeness in God through our Lord Jesus through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with our God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier we sang the song, It Is Well. It captures the point of how Jesus restored our relationship to him. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. So God's stance on sin, it hasn't changed, but what has changed is his means of dealing with sinfulness, which caused our relationship to be broken in the first place. Now, that doesn't mean we continue to sin, but because of our restored relationship, we make choices that honor and please God. In chapter 5, verse 9, Paul says, so we make it our goal to please Him. We make choices that honor and glorify God, our restored and reconciled relationship. God's gracious gift does not free us to sin, But out of a restored relationship with God, we make choices that please and honor Him. Just like in a marriage and a spouse, we make choices that help to be beneficial to one another. We don't think of ourselves, but we think of the other person to help keep unity. And so, have you ever known someone who maybe intentionally reached out to you? You know, they they, they took the initiative. Your relationship with them maybe was stained broken, but they took the initiative to try and bring about healing and restoration. They offered an olive branch. In that moment, we have a choice. We can either accept it to help bring reconciliation and to restore the relationship, or we can choose to ignore it and back away. The question isn't whether or not what they did was right or wrong, The question is, how did we respond? How did we respond? Will avoidance fix the issue in the relationship? No, that's not the compassionate thing to do. The compassionate thing to do is to forgive because Jesus Christ forgave the inexcusable in us through the cross. That's a small example of what Jesus has done for us. He took the initiative to restore our broken relationship. He offered an olive branch. And we have a choice to either accept his offer of restored relationship or reject it. And so what does this mean for us today? Well, have you made a choice to accept Jesus Christ into your heart as personal Lord and Savior? Have you repented? Have you surrendered? Have you chosen to follow and trust him? 
It's as simple as A, B, C. We acknowledge that there are things within us that are sinful and wrong. But B, we believe that Jesus Christ did something on the cross for the penalty and power of our sin. Our debt has been paid in full provisionally until we accept it into our heart. And C, we confess that we need a Savior and ask Him to be Lord and Savior of our life. But maybe for most of you, you, you've done that before. You've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as personal Lord and Savior. Your relationship has been reconciled. It has been restored. The good news is this. The moment that you chose to surrender your life to Jesus, your relationship was restored to God. The moment that you asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, the good news, your relationship with God was restored. When we choose Jesus, God reconciles us, but there's more good news. When we choose Jesus, second point, God transforms our character. God transforms our character that we can be recreated to be more like Jesus. Our character, our values, our thoughts, our words, our priorities, and our actions. Before we are forgiven and reconciled back to God, we're led by human desires, pride, laziness, greed, envy, which leads to sin. But when we humbly surrender our life to God, God begins to work in our life. We become dead to our previous desires and alive to the promptings of God. And God imparts His Spirit to help us live holy and righteous lives. It's like what the apostle said in Galatians 2.20 when he said, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. I have been crucified with Christ. It's a metaphor to what Jesus did. Our old sinful nature has been put to death. I bear it no more. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Ezekiel 36, 26 talks about how God transforms our heart. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put a new spirit in you, God's life-giving spirit. He will remove from you your heart of stone. It's a simile, you know, that it's sinking. It's a hard heart, and he'll give us a heart a flesh that is compassionate, loving, forgiving. And notice what the Apostle Paul says in verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All of this is in Christ. When we have this faith in Jesus, this union, this restored relationship, we are a new creation. It helps us understand that we're not reformed, we're not rehabilitated, rather we are recreated into something better, something new that comes from the Lord. Our old self no longer controls us. It is Christ living within us that helps to enable us. He says our old life has gone. After we receive Jesus, our old value systems, what previously guided and directed our life, are no more. 
God imparts new ones. No longer are we thinking about ourselves, but we're thinking about other people to value them, to be other-oriented, to do unto others as you would have done to yourself. And this new has come. The Greek grammar helps us understand that this is not just a one-time thing, but it helps us understand in the Greek that this newness is not just a switch, but it's continual and it's ongoing. Earlier in chapter 3 in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul mentioned that we are being transformed into his likeness, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And we all, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory that comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We, with unveiled faces, believers in the new covenant, that restored relationship, all reflect we are a mirror to God's majestic attractiveness in our speech and in our actions. And we're being transformed, a continual progression to look like Jesus, like metamorphosis, a a caterpillar being transformed into a butterfly with ever-increasing glory that the more that we grow in Jesus, the more that we spend time with Jesus, the more of God and his glory will be revealed through us. His majestic attractiveness, Jesus shining through us, will entice others that if God can change our life, he can change theirs as well. And scripture says it helps us understand it has nothing to do with us, but it all comes from the Lord, his Holy Spirit, living and working through us. You see, transformation is a process of being made holy. Transformation is a process of being made holy. Scripture says in Hebrews 10, 14, For by one sacrifice, Jesus, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This transformation happens as we continue to put to death, as we continue to starve, as we continue to deprive of life whatever belongs to our earthly nature. Colossians 3.5 talks about our earthly nature are things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is adultery. And so our part, based upon what Jesus has done for us to restore and to reconcile and his spirit to help enable holy and righteous living, our part is to cut off and stay away from anything that hinders and contaminates us. That may mean putting up boundaries, guards, accountability, people to ask us the tough questions. How are you doing with this? Did you go there even though you said you wouldn't go there anymore? The difference between our old and our new self is that we're no longer slaves to our sinful nature, but we're now free to choose to live and to make God-honoring choices. However, we still have the ability to choose to disobey God, but in our new creation, we have a spirit-led liberty rather than just a uh, muster up the strength, a self-will liberty. In our new creation, when we are reconciled to Jesus, God's Holy Spirit helps to enable holy and righteous living, helps to purify our heart. It's not just say, I'm going to try a little bit harder, but it's a continual surrender to the Spirit for Him to work and move through us. Ezekiel 36, 
27, after when he said he'll put a new heart and new spirit in you, the next verse says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see, the goal is to become Christ-like. The goal is to become Christ-like. And by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, God begins to transform and recreate us to be more like Jesus. In verse 21, the Apostle Paul says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness that both the inside, our thoughts and what we think, our actions and our words on the outside, we reflect the character and the priorities of God. This all begins when we make the choice to put our faith in Jesus and continue to make choices to surrender to his will for our life. Jesus has severed all ties to our sinful nature. We are dead to sin, alive in Christ, and it has been replaced with a new loving nature to live righteously and in obedience to God. Now think for a moment about an undisciplined teen. Don't think about your family members or anybody like that. Just th- this is hypothetical that a teen was rebellious and they only thought about themselves just for a moment. One day they are enrolled into the Canadian Armed Forces, and the young soldier begins the process of transformation from being undisciplined to being disciplined, from only thinking about themselves to now thinking about their unit and their fellow soldiers, from being disobedient to being quick to follow what their commanding officer is asking them to do. The process isn't automatic, but it'll happen if we stick with it and learn our new experiences. One area that the Lord has been transforming in my life is not only hearing what God is asking me to do, but to faithfully and promptly obey what God is asking me to do. To not question the Lord, to not think, oh, someone else can do this, but what is God asking me to do and to act upon it right away? One area in my life specifically is to become more of a generous person, that what I have is not just my own, but that God has entrusted me to be a good steward, to not hold on to my things like this, but to hold on to my things like this, to be used and to help other people. One of the ways that God transforms our character is giving us opportunities to choose between our word or an excuse, to be selfish or to be other-oriented, to be bitter or to express love, to be resentful or to offer forgiveness. I love what Pastor Rick Warren said. He said, God teaches us to love by putting some unlovely people around us. It takes no character to love those who are lovely to you. Sometimes we may not, we, we may not like the idea of God testing us, but it's to help us see if our faith is genuine, that it becomes tested, tried, and true. Tested, tried, and true. And so what does this mean for, day, for us today? Well, here's the good news. God doesn't leave us on our own will and our own power, but he wants us to become as much like Jesus as we can be. Maybe you've been struggling with a destructive habitat, habit, sorry, 
and it's hindering you from being like Jesus. Or maybe you've been resisting what God wants you to do in your life. The only way that we overcome is to surrender to Jesus being Lord of our life. He's in charge. He calls the shots. We follow and trust him because he always has our best interest at heart. But not only do we follow the promptings of the Lord, but we take advantage of the resources that are part of the family of God. Wise counsel, prayer support, ministries like Celebrate Recovery, ministries like um, Hope Huddles, prayer times together, to take advantage of people who love and care for one another, to encourage and to support. When we choose Jesus, God reconciles us, he recreates us, and finally our third, four, third point, God transforms our purpose, that we are recruited as an ambassador, a witness for Jesus. And I think at the end of the day, we all like to be remembered as someone who left this world by giving more into it than taking from it. We like to be remembered as someone that made a positive difference. And Paul mentions two aspects to this recruitment. He says it's a ministry of reconciliation and it's a message of reconciliation. Paul says he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. It comes from the, the Greek word diakono, which means service, waiting a table, done with a willing attitude, but it's a spirit enablement service. We demonstrate the ministry of the gospel by serving others like Jesus. And one way we see that in the gospel is him washing his disciples' feet. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have set you an example, you should do to others. The heart of Jesus' ministry was to serve and not be served, to pour himself out for other people. Our ministry is not only to value other people above ourselves, but ultimately it's to it's to introduce other people to embrace God and be reconciled to him. And he says in verse 19, and he is committed to us the message of reconciliation. It's not only a ministry that we exemplify, but it's something that we actually say too. It comes from the Greek word logos, which means this is general for all people. It's not a rhema word for a specific time and a specific place and a specific people, but it's a logos word. It's for all people, this message of hope that the gospel is for everyone. The Apostle Paul helps us understand that this message that we have is truthful. It's, it's, it's undeniable. It is without error. Because the context to this day is that there were false teachers, there was, there was false preaching, and that they were leading people astray. And what he's saying is, what I'm saying is that the gospel message is true. It is without error. You can take it to the bank. And it's that we are committed to this. It's this idea that God has put the message of the gospel into us. And we proudly speak about it to other people because one time we needed it too. At one point, we needed to hear the gospel message. This task means that we must point to something bigger than ourselves. What God has done in Christ is the best hope-filled message that we can share with all people. So in other words, 
Our purpose is to authenticate the gospel by our words and our actions. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. And Paul says of this new recruitment, this purpose, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. An ambassador, you know, is an official representative, you know, the highest rank, certified to represent the government, to to share and to help bring unity and, and restoration, to speak on behalf. And Paul helps us understand the magnitude, the responsibility, the weight that's on our shoulders that we, all of God's people, are Christ's ambassadors. The context to this day is that in Paul's time, only those who were educated, only those that came from a high class and a distinguished family were chosen to be an ambassador for the king. But Scripture says that God recruits all of us. We are all part of the message and the ministry of telling other people about Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, an enormous privilege and responsibility to be part of God's saving enterprise for the whole world. So we have a new purpose, to be ambassadors of God. And Paul even tells us what we are supposed to say on God's behalf. In verse 20, he says, be reconciled to God. So what are we supposed to say? To be reconciled to God. And when we witness for Jesus, it helps us understand that God's word dictates what we say, not our emotions or our thoughts. God's word dictates what we say. Be reconciled to God. And so as we come to a close, what does this mean for us today? Well, sometimes people wonder, you know, what they're supposed to do with their lives. Well, in part, I have an answer. God has a job for you. It is a high calling, eternally significant work. People's lives hang in the balance of eternity to spend eternity with God or eternity separated from God. God has a career, a job for you. He wants to recruit you to tell other people about Jesus Christ. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. He's looking for those who will surrender and say, Hear my Lord, send me. So, as we recap our points here, when we choose Jesus, God transform our, transforms our relationship. And the point is that God wants to restore and to get back his bride unity, peace with one another. Our second point, God wants to transform our character. The point is that God wants to recreate us, to make us look as much like Jesus as possible. And our third point is that when we choose Jesus, God wants to transform our purpose. God wants to recruit us, to give us a new job like that is no other helping other people come to know and love and be reconciled to God. So, if I could end with just one point, it would be this. I'd encourage you to choose Jesus because Jesus has chosen you. I would encourage you to choose Jesus because he has chosen you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. 
And God, I th- I'm so thankful to be part of the family of God. I'm thankful that you want to use your church. God, very easily you could just snap us into submission. But Jesus, that's not love. Love is a choice. And so Jesus, I pray that we would choose today. I pray that we would choose the healing and the right choice. I choose, Lord, that we would be surrendered to you, that we would surrender anything that is hindering us from your spirit and um, us from being um, a more accurate reflection of who you are. Jesus, I recognize that we have an enemy who only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He may convince us that, oh, someone else can do it. Someone else is more qualified. But Jesus, you don't call the equipped. You equip the called. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would give us the right words to say, to speak the truth in love, that we would value other people above ourselves so that as people see us, they see an accurate reflection of who you are. In the precious and powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen.